You know, you used to hear those songs as a child. And as a child, they were just chatter. They were repetitive words that didn't really mean a whole lot. It was, why don't you stop singing the same words and start a new song? And then you mature a little bit. And you understand that sometimes one word is all you got. <laughs> that you don't have a long prayer to put together that's not well articulated. There's something in your heart that can only get you out one word. And sometimes that word is just yes. Lord, I don't understand what you're doing and I don't understand how this is going, but all I can say is yes. I can only say yes to your will, yes to this circumstance. I don't even know what I'm saying yes to. But somehow you've trained me to be obedient in the midst of my lack of understanding. I'm still saying yes. I'm dying right now, but I'm still saying yes. I, I don't have any strength. I can't get up. I can't move, but I'm still saying yes. People are sick around me, loved ones that you didn't expect, and I, I don't know what else to pray. I've run out of words to articulate. I can't beg right now because I don't have energy. All I have is a yes. And so the old hymns in the church that didn't mean much when we were younger, but as we got older, they began to take on some new meaning because God began to communicate something in the hymns that he couldn't communicate in words that we had. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. As Joshie said earlier, boy, do I feel the Lord's presence in this place. I am trying to behave. I really am. But I feel some things in my spirit this morning. That the Lord has sent an anointing of freedom here today. You may wonder why I'm wearing these handcuffs. Because sometimes we come into church singing about freedom when we're everything but free. We're trying to lift our hands in worship, but we're so caught up in where we are that really we don't have freedom, but we have bondage instead. And this month we've been talking about generosity and I promise you I'm going to connect freedom and generosity and somehow connect these handcuffs at the same time, I promise. But I really believe in order to understand freedom in its proper context and generosity, you also have to understand what bondage is. And here's a simple definition for bondage. I looked up several things, several definitions that I did not like. They were very simple, and on my way coming to church this morning, the Lord said to me, living in bondage is simply living a life with limitations. When you're in bondage, you have limitations that you don't have when you are in freedom. See, bondage is being enslaved. It's everything but freedom. Bondage is life with hindrance and restraint. In basketball, there's this space called the restricted area. 
And many of us live life in a restricted area. And so when it comes to generosity, we're prevented from being generous because we're living in bondage, which prevents us from not only giving freedom away, but experiencing the same freedom that we want for someone else. Tell your neighbor he's going somewhere. See, there are things that you cannot accomplish in bondage until you are free. There is a certain level of success and accomplishment. There is a certain mindset that it is hard to put on when you are limited in mobility, limited in motion. That's what bondage does. I put these handcuffs on and realized I thought I was going to put them on behind me and I knew that would be too much restriction. And then I decided to put them on in front of me thinking it would be easier for me to be mobile until I figured out the same. It doesn't matter the type of bondage you're in. There is still restriction in every bondage. We think about the restrictions of chains and handcuffs. If, if I were an attorney, if I were Johnny Cochran or someone else that we, some of us might know, if I were Keith White, I would call a couple of people to the stand and ask them a few specific and strategic questions about their life. The first person I call to the stand is the Gadarean demoniac. The demoniac decided he had to move out of his neighborhood. He had to move out of his house. He had to move away from his surroundings and move himself into a cemetery. Say restriction. He was restricted by where he could go and how he would get there. And the Bible says this time, every time people tried to put these type of restraints on him, he broke these restrictions, but he was still restricted. See, without the power of God to provide freedom, your self-imposed freedom from bondage only creates another limitation in your life. So by the time you try to free yourself and you may break some chains and free yourself, you'll find that you put yourself in more bondage and created another limitation because you got free the wrong way. But eventually Jesus steps into the conversation with the demoniac. And he freed him. And so he didn't have to live in the cemetery anymore. He didn't have to cut himself anymore. He didn't have to scream anymore. He could live life the way it was intended. He could speak about the goodness of God because God's freedom came to him in a way that released him from all of his bondage. Who would I call next to the stand? I call Peter next to the stand. Loudmouth Peter, the savage Peter. The mobster, Peter, the dude who would cut a person's ear off before they blinked right, the person who would talk out of turn when he was not asked, the, the loudmouth, the brash, now apostle Peter, I'd call him to the stand. And I would say, Peter, what happened? 
He'd say, Paul, I was preaching the gospel in the hood. I was in the streets on the block, in the temple. I was everywhere preaching the gospel, and dudes got tight because of the way I preached. They hadn't heard of this Jesus I was talking about. They didn't know how to relate to them, to relate to him. And I was stepping on the toes of everything they had ever known. And so what they did when they did not understand me, they tried to jail me. And so you know how they do every revolutionary. You know what they do. They take us and, and they put us in prison. And I didn't get rubber bullets because those rubber bullets were before my time. But they did lock me up. They roughed me up a little bit. Some things have not changed. Locked me up, roughed me up, and they put me in prison. And then, but Peter, what happened? Why are you standing here talking to me right now? He's like, oh, P, because God is good. I mean, what do you mean, Peter? God is good. He says, man, I was sitting in the cell, dude, next to a bunch of people, guards to my right and to my left, because they was afraid I was going to get out anyway. But in the middle of the night, man, I had spent a lot of time praying. I said yes several times. I didn't know what the Lord was going to do, and I didn't know what Jesus was going to do, but I just knew I was going to be faithful to pray. How many of you know sometimes your, your key to freedom is not in your hands, it's in your tongue? It's in what you say and who you say it to. Now back to Peter. So now Peter is still sitting there in the middle of prison, and guess what he says to me? He says, yo, listen, man. He says, an angel of the Lord stepped into the middle of the cell. He said, he stepped in so crazy that I thought I was dreaming. I didn't even know what was going on. All I knew was is the cuffs that I had on my hands got released. The chains, they got totally broke, and not only did they get totally broke, he took me out, he, not, he broke the chains, and then he opened the door. Well, Peter explained that to me. How did that happen? He's like, bro, I don't know. I don't know how it happened. He just made a way. I didn't question the way he made. I just took the way he made. I didn't have him boxed in to the other ways he had made and the other things he had done yesterday. I counted on him for what he was going to do today. So what he did today was he broke the shackles and then he opened the door. Well, Pete, what did you do after he opened the door? Said, what you think? I walked out. <laughs> he said, because what I began to understand was that the Lord created a way for me. That I was in trouble and he heard my voice. He heard my cry. He heard my call. Here's what you understand. True freedom can never be gained outside of Jesus. Right? So let me put it a different way. In John, uh, eight, what is it? John 8 and somewhere between 31 and 36, he, Jesus is now talking to the folks in the temple. And he says this one thing. He says, hey, a slave is never a permanent part of the house. He's, he's temporary. He's got to come and go. But then he took his hands and said this. He said, if the sun sets you free, you're free and unquestionably. So if you're going to have any freedom at all, Jesus has to provide it. So what we wind up doing is trying to create our own freedom, hoping that we're going to get the result we're looking for, as I said earlier, only to create an additional way to limit our life and create bondage. So Jesus says, if I set you free, you will be free, King James language, you will be free indeed. New living language, you'll be free unquestionably. 
unquestionably free, no bondage, no hindrance. You are free to do some other things. Now, I've got a little bit of a different definition. I know now I'm tying this back to generosity because it's hard for you to be generous when you're bound. You can't be generous in places that you feel hindered. You can't give money away if you don't have it. And if you don't have it, some of our thinking becomes, I can't give what I got because it's the last I got. And if we were free in our mind in Jesus, we would be like the widow who says, I'm going to give you this last cup of, this last cup of cornmeal I got. You know what happened to that woman? She never lacked cornmeal ever again. Says her cupboard was full and it kept overflowing. Those are the things that freedom creates. Let's talk about freedom and generosity together. Here is a definition I have. The power to give liberally of one's time, talent, or treasure without hindrance or restraint. Generosity. The power to give liberally of one's time, talent, or treasure without hindrance or restraint. In other words, in any, in any structure, in any place in your life, you're, if you're giving generously, it's one, based on your liberality, right? Number two, it's based on the fact that you've got time, talent, and treasure to give. Terrence, thank you. That is money. Um, I didn't know he was going to get it that fast. I'm, I'm just in awe, but I just have to look at it real fast. <laughs> that you can do that without hindrance or restraint. Say, without hindrance or restraint. You know time in your life when you have given, when you've been hindered and restrained versus the time that you were free to give liberally and you did not have any hindrance and you had no restraint. Whether it was your funding, whether it was a gift or a skill that you have that God has called you to use in the church or the marketplace, you know when God is using you to be generous. Now, so I want to go back uh, to Acts 3. Acts 3 verses 1 through 9. And, and this is very familiar because this is the passage uh, that Pastor Jamal started out on when we started the series in generosity. I want to give you, oh, it seems like about nine points, uh, and we're going to get through them really well. So Peter went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a lame man from birth was being carried in each day. He was put uh, beside the temple gate, the one called Beautiful, so he could beg uh, from the people going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently and said, look at us. And the lame man looked up at them eagerly, expecting money. Everybody say expecting money. But, the, but Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. And then Peter took the lame man by the right hand, helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, began to walk, and then walking, leaping, and praising God, he went in to the temple with them. So let's unpack this a little bit. 
So, number one, I would say uh, freedom is the precursor to generosity. If you are going to be generous, you've got to be free to be generous. As we talked about, it's hard to give things when you're bound uh, by the things that you have in your hand, right? Two, true freedom is the knowledge of what you have to give. How many of you have ever thought and been upset because somebody had a need and you couldn't meet it? Raise your hand if that's you. Guess what? You can only give people what you have. Right? In verse 6, he talks about that. Peter says, hey, silver or gold, I do not have. I don't have that, bro. Like, I know that's what you're looking for, but I don't have silver or gold. But what I do have... I'll give you. In other words, because he wasn't able to give one thing, he did not, he would, Peter would understood that I have other things that I have power to give. So when you can't give on one hand, you can't give on another hand, right? If money is, if you can't give money, you can provide a resource that helps and leads a person to a source where they can get money, if they need information and knowledge, if they need wisdom to help, thank you, if you need wisdom to help you get through a situation and you can give wisdom generously, you have done exactly two things, what the Lord has asked you to do and based out of the abundance of what you have. Three, freedom creates and presents opportunities for generosity. Freedom creates and presents opportunities for generosity. How do we know that? Acts 3.1 tells us clearly. It says Peter and John were on their way to the temple for a three o'clock prayer service, Right? They were on their way in motion, headed in the right direction to the right place at the right time. And as they were moving, an opportunity to be generous presented itself because they were moving in the right direction. Right? They were, in, they were moving out of one place and into another. And as they were along the way, the Lord presents them an opportunity to be generous. Yes, uh-oh. <laughs> Here's one of the things that happens when we're bound. When we're bound and when we're struggling in different places, we have a tendency to ask for the wrong thing, right? We don't actually ask for what we need. We ask for something else that's short of what we actually need. Here, let me help you make sense of that. So the beggar is sitting beside the temple. He begged like that all the time. They would bring him there and sit him there. Now, what did he really need? To walk. What did he ask for? Money. What did he need? What did he ask for? When we're bound, we often ask for short of what we actually really need. Think about that in your own life. 
when you've been in a jam and, and things have gotten so hectic, you're asking for things. And if you really thought about it, you're like, oh, no, no, I don't really need that. I really need this. Or after you got what you asked for, you figured out, oh, shoot, I actually needed this. Right? So we often ask for the wrong things when we're operating in bondage. We don't ask for all that we need. Number four, freedom provides a clarity and accuracy around what you give. Freedom provides a clarity and accuracy around what you give. So in this scenario, here's what Peter was able to do. He's walking by, right? And he said he's already established, I don't have what you need, bro. I don't have that. You're asking me for money. I don't have that. You really need something different. And so because I see you, right, and because I'm operating in a level of freedom and clarity myself, I can see absolutely what you need and I can accurately provide that's what, that what you are looking for. And so what he does is he says a couple of things. He picks him up. He takes him by his right hand, right? Takes him by his right hand, and I'm sure this dude is like, man, I have not walked in all my life. I don't know what this dude is doing grabbing me by my right hand. I have no clue. But first of all, even before he grabbed him by his hand, the Bible says he looked him in his eye. Say, look in his eye. He looked him in his eye because by looking him in his eye, he could see the level of confidence and clarity that Peter was operating with, which cut down the amount of fear he had when Peter did whatever he was going to do. He had no clue what Peter was going to do, but he can look Peter in the eye and have a level of confidence that what was going to happen next was going to change his life. And so then Peter walks with him a little differently, though. He looks him in the eye, then he grabs him by the hand, and then he begins to pull him up, which is something that probably hadn't happened to him before, a strength he began to feel that he had never known. And so he's beginning to get up, and his strength comes back into his ankles and his feet, and his legs, and all of a sudden, when he recognizes what he really has, his response is unparalleled. He didn't take time. It doesn't, the scripture didn't say, you know, he took time to shake out his legs a little bit, that once he got up, he needed to stretch. I mean, he didn't need all that. He, he recognized that new strength that was coming, and so what he immediately does is, the scripture says he gets up, he runs, he jumps, he heads to the temple, right? He runs, he jumps, and he heads to the temple. In other words, because he was filled with gratitude, his gratitude drove him to the right place. Why? Because he recognized what he was given had just changed his life. How many times has the Lord done something that's actually changed our life and we've acted like he's done nothing? Like it was commonplace, like it was supposed to happen. Yes, we know that healing is the children's bread, but when you get a chance to eat from it, you better act like you ate. 
You know what it's like. You better not get up from that table after you ate and, and not said thank you and talked about how good that food was. <laughs> that might be the last meal you get. Why am I not eating today? Because you didn't thank me from what I, you ate yesterday. Right? There is, he responded in true gratitude because not only did he recognize he was healed, he now recognizes he's free. There's a difference when you just got something that you were looking for and when you realize the totality and the extent of what's just been done and given to you. Freedom provokes thoughtfulness. Freedom provokes thoughtfulness in your generosity. How do we know that 2 Corinthians uh, 9 and 7 says, let a man consider in his heart what he's going to give. Let a man or a woman consider in their heart what they're going to give. In other words, think about it, right? Think about it. Engage your mind in your generosity. Think about what you're going to give. Think about the impact that it's going to have when you give it. Think about the picture that the Lord has given you for whatever that next step becomes. He asks us to think about it. Consider it. Don't just throw it out there, but consider. Be thoughtful about what you're going to give. What does that show? That shows that we understand the principles of good stewardship. I'll say it in two ways. <clears throat> you remember the old debate that they were having about, um, about the coin and about tithing and about giving and says, Lord, should we take this and give it to Caesar? He said, whose face is on it? He says, well, uh, I mean... Lord, it's fairly obvious you're looking at the same coin I'm looking at. You know whose face is on this coin. He said, Caesar's face is on this coin. He said, go ahead and give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. But, and, give unto God what belongs to him. When you understand the principles of stewardship, you understand that everything you have, though it is in your hands, you are a steward of it because God gave it to you first. Right? So stewardship becomes a, a, a key principle and a key, and a key motivator of the things that we do when we have freedom. I'll put it this way. It's stewardship in another way. Psalms 24 says, uh, the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof and the world and all that dwell therein. It says, for he established it upon the seas and then he, he founded it upon the seas and he established it on the floods says, who shall ascend into these hills and who shall see this holy place? He says, he that has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted his, hand, his soul in vanity nor sworn deceitfully. says, but the punchline is the earth is the Lord's and everything that's in it. You, have, you own nothing. You're a steward of everything. The house you've got is not yours. You're a steward of that. Your children... They're not yours. You're a steward of that. That's why we do baby dedication, because we're lifting our children back up to the Lord to acknowledge before the presence of him and the assembly that we understand that this child belongs to you. So when that child acts up, when that child goes crazy, then you know who we turn, the, we turn that child back over into the hands to. Lord, this is your child. Do something with him. Do something with him. Do something with her. This is your child. Do something with it. So the ultimate 
generosity was the fact we see it in John 3.16. It says that God so loved the world that he gave his son. When you're free, your level of generosity really has no bounds. Because if the Lord should say to you, give it all, you'd give it all. Here's the contrast of that. Rich young ruler is walking around the streets talking to Jesus. He says, Jesus, I've kept, ever, I've kept all your rules since I was a boy. Imagine the audacity of that. To stand in front of Jesus and say, I've done everything right since I was a kid. Jesus said, that's good. You notice Jesus never rebuked him for that. Didn't correct him. Didn't even address that comment. Here's what he said, though. He said, what I want you to do is take everything you have. Say, everything you have. I want you to take everything you have and give it to the poor. And the Bible says that he turned around, walked away, head down and sad because he had a great amount of possessions. Sometimes the Lord might ask you to give it all. Whatever that all means, I'm not him. I could just say whenever he asks for it all, he actually expects you to give him what he asked for. It's funny. When you think about, uh, you, you know, we all have, how many of you have ever gone to a birthday party and this person has everything and so you spend your time trying to figure out what am I going to get this person who has everything? Raise your hand if that's happened to you. Right? Here's, where, here's my answer to that right? Especially in terms of God. If you know a person who has everything, then you should give him or her what they want. Give them what they ask for. What does God want? He has everything. What does he want? He wants your everything. Can you imagine what would happen if we stood up in church and said, I'll surrender some And it's so funny because we know the song is, I surrender all. But in reality, we laugh because we surrender some. We surrender some instead of surrendering all. The punchline in our generosity is this. The Lord died for a freedom. So that we could be generous in how we give him away to people. He died for a freedom that allowed us to give him away to other people in generosity. He died for a freedom that would allow you to meet a tangible need when someone needs money in their pocket, or food on a table. He died for a freedom so that when someone needs godly wisdom and counsel and they can't see their way out, that you can give them the wisdom and the counsel from God that they need. But family, we can only be as generous as we are free. We can only be as generous as we are free. And are we going to sit in a place of, 
uh, perpetual freedom everywhere so we're never going to have any trouble? No, of course, there are going to be some places where we're just stuck. That's why we say yes. But I would say this as we stand this morning. That I believe today, right now, right here, there is a freedom that the Lord wants to provide in this room today. Very heavily on my heart, I believe that there is a freedom that the Lord wants to create today as we all stand. Some of us don't know that freedom, though. Some of us understand the theory of freedom. But don't understand it in its execution. The Bible says, "Who, when the Lord sets you free, you are unquestionably free. Earlier in that passage of John, he says, you know what? Anybody who is in sin is a slave to that sin. It's a slave. You're bound like I was in those handcuffs. What was that slavery like? It, limited, it was a life of limits. And the Lord said, I came that you might have life and that you would experience that life to the fullest. And so I want to provide an opportunity this morning with all heads bowed and eyes closed. If you've not confessed the Lord Jesus this morning I want to provide an opportunity for you to meet Jesus in a real way. Here's the second question. If you want to be free from something that has you bound today, I want you now to raise your hand. For those who raised your hand, I'm going to ask you to come to the altar. Because we've been taught here that this altar is a place of exchange. That he never intended us to live in shackles and to walk with handcuffs. He died and rose again for our freedom, not for us to stay enslaved. Now, if you're standing here at this altar, I'm going to ask you to put the thing in mind that you need to be free from. Let's bow our heads. Father, we're grateful today that you, even before one day began, that you thought long and hard about our freedom that you created a plan and a process 
that you had a goal and a desired end. You said you wanted us to experience life more abundantly. That you'd come, that you'd give us life. But we thank you for the power of your blood. The power of your resurrection that sets us free. Now, Father, as we stand at this altar today, we have some things that have shackled our lives. Things that we don't talk about. Things that happen to us on a daily basis where our cry is, Lord, please, would you let me go? Would you release me today? Lord, may this be my last day in these chains and in these shackles. And Lord, we thank you that you hear that prayer. And that your spirit is already here to respond. So Father, as we break our hands and lift our hands to you. May the freedom of God pour over us right now. Father, would you break generational chains? Would you break generational curses? Father, would you break down the poor self-esteem that we have in ourselves? If you're at the altar, I want you to raise your hands now. I know this is symbolic. I, I understand. But the Lord wants you to be free. He wants you to be out of chains. Says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, there is liberty. Lord, you said when you stood up and read the scroll from Isaiah, you said this was one of the reasons you were sent. So that you could provide freedom for the captives. And so, Father, we speak your freedom over your people today. May we be free indeed. May we be free for real. May we not pretend that we have freedom. May we actually walk in the freedom that you give. <laughs> Father, we know that that freedom will take work and, and discipline and dedication, but you've given it to us. You've broken the shackles. You've opened up the door and allowed us to walk out. Father, give us the courage to walk out, not to stay in the same place, not to hold the chains as a memorial, as a reminder, not that we would put the chains back on ourselves, but that we would leave them behind and we would walk in a direction that you've marked out for us. So, Father, we thank you today for your amazing love for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And you may be seated. Let's get our Bibles in the air. Pray that you receive something in that today. Sometimes when you're preaching to people, you're also preaching to yourself. Sometimes preaching to yourself is often better than preaching to other people. Because that's where the power of God shows up to free you in a different way. But I'm going to get in trouble if I keep going, so I'm going to stop. Let's lift up our Bibles. This Bible, this Bible is our primary source of faith. Source of faith. This, Bible this Bible 
is the rule of our conduct. This Bible creates the lens that we see life through. And as we leave this place, but never God's presence, Jesus is Lord. Period. We believe it. We proclaim it. And we're seeing it come to pass. God bless you and have a great week, family.